I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me as I talk with today's most important influencers, guides, and changemakers to uncover what truly drives them and extract the big takeaway from their personal journey and their greatest wisdom. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. I'm back with Dr. Benjamin Hardy to discuss what drives him. I just had been on the show for the fifth time now to talk about his latest book, 10X is Easier Than 2X, which is a psychological paradigm shifter for how we look at making progress. But this is a special episode. I had been on a show with me back in 2019 where he made a reference to his childhood where he was 19 years old barely made it out of high school. His very religious parents had divorced and walked away from their faith in essence. And his dad had actually become a meth addict. Ben was spending 14 hours per day playing World of Warcraft. To hear that story rocked my world a lot. Here I was trying to raise kids with you know work ethic and morals and experience and desire. Ben had none of it at age 19, yet he did go on in a fairly short amount of time and turned his life around drastically and was getting six-figure deals for his books, living a life of all-around great success. Well, I had him come back on to talk with me in December of 2020 to unpack the story and understand what took him from zero to hero. What he shared actually became the lead story in my book, What Drives You. And right here and right now, you're going to hear that initial raw discussion with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. You just made this brief quip and you said, 10 to 12 years ago, all I was doing was playing World of Warcraft 15 hours a day. I had zero perspective or purpose in my life. Okay, that stuck with me. And that's why you're here now. Ever since then, I thought, I want to unpack that a little bit because first off, what led you into that? I mean, I've got you know kids and dealing with video games and whatever. I'm thinking, how did you get to that point? And then of course, how do you get to where you are now? writing, you know, six figure book deals consecutively on profound messages that I'm bringing on to my shows. So that's a big jump there. And uh, yeah, so I want to know, how do you have a childhood that leads you into 15 hours a day of video games? Well, so I grew up in a pretty religious family and, you know, Christian believe in God and 
interestingly, my parents just went, so I'm the oldest of three boys and you know, faith was a big part of my life still is, but um, it was really interesting. My parents got divorced when I was age 11. Again, I'm the oldest of three and it was a pretty brutal divorce. And what was very fascinating to me was, is that after the divorce, my parents both became completely different people than the people that I thought that they were. My father went into a deep depression and ultimately led him to becoming an extreme drug addict. You know, over the progressing years, he literally became a like a meth addict. And, you know, his house, which is where me and my friends would go and like play video games and stuff became a toxic wasteland. I mean, it became filled with drugs, drug paraphernalia all over the place and even weird drug addicts. And like, we'd be like in one room playing video games and weird people would be around and my friends would be like, dude, what's going on? And like, it it became the new normal. My mom, um, stopped being a, a kind of a, a person of faith in general. I mean, I would say she still has a belief in God, but she just totally left kind of that lifestyle. And yeah. she threw herself into her work. She was running a, a health club, which was not very successful, but she was working like 80 hour weeks in a, non, in a non-successful company. And so, you know, she had an apartment. My dad's house was just a total crazy place. And we would just go back and forth to my mom's apartment and to my dad's crazy house until eventually my dad's house, probably when I was like 14 or 15, I might have even been 16 by that point. It just became so, you know, gnarly that we just couldn't go there anymore. So we left and we're living with my mom who was really only a couple miles from my dad's house in her apartment. And through all the midst of that, you know, through those four or five years of just kind of no stability, I was still going to school. So, I mean, somehow my parents were still taking us to school, you know, like I barely ended up graduating high school, but I was not really studying. I wasn't learning anything. I was kind of in what you would call like a trauma state, you know, like from what I understand now, there's multiple forms of trauma. You know, there's like obviously acute trauma, which is like an extreme event that happened, but there's also more just being in a constant chaos state. And so for me, I was just kind of in that. And, uh, I was just kind of trying to revert from reality. So I would snowboard a lot, skateboard a lot, um, and just play video games all day and just barely go to school. So you know, when I graduated high school, which I really still don't even know to this day how I did, cause I missed a lot of school. Um, basically I had no job, I had no work ethic and I had no future in my mind. And so I was just living at my cousin's house playing world of Warcraft all day, you know, the year after high school. And I played a lot of world of Warcraft and video games and stuff like that, even through high school. But yeah, I found myself 19 years old, no job, no future playing video games all day sleeping at my cousin's couch. And that's kind of where I was at and very unhappy and not, and I was also beginning to really analyze the lives of those around me, my, my cousin that I was living with my family. And I was starting to not really resonate with the future that I could easily see myself falling into. So that was kind of the context of my life, which was what a future you couldn't relate to, which, which would have been what? Well, just ultimately me not having a great life, you know, like I just kind of saw that my own family had kind of fallen apart and most people, in my family and in my social circle, we're just kind of going down negative paths, you know, whether it be drugs, partying, whether it be just not really doing much. Like I just kind of saw that my life would not be very good if I continued down my path. So where did that come? Where did that come from though? I mean, you're a kid there and you know that that happened. It's not a, it's a somewhat of a tragic reality, but it's not super uncommon where yeah, and you wonder, I, I'm, I always find myself wondering where did that little 
spark, spark of interest. Yeah. Why do you, well, and, I'll, and so I'll I mean, I had you. other people in my life that were okay. still, okay. still positive, you know, like I had a, uh, a grandfather, my grandfather, wow. Rex, who was, a a fighter pilot in world war II. He was very religious. He adopted my dad. He adopted all five of their kids and he was very, you know, a faithful, just good man, had a very successful career, um, ended up kind of giving all of his money to his kids in the end, but he was always in my life. He would always show up and encourage me, for example, to serve a church mission. And like, he was always kind of a reference point for me. You know, I knew he had had a good successful life and I knew he had done a lot. And so like, he was always an influence in my life. And then I had various like church leaders, you know, like for example, I was living at, um, my mom's apartment and like a former kind of pastor, you, you could say would like reach out to me and take me out to lunch and just ask me how I was doing, you know, encourage me to serve a church mission, you know, cause that's kind of a, a big aspect of that culture. And so, um, I had, I still had reference points of yeah. people who were pointing me to the idea that there could be a better life for me and that there's a path to getting there. And so for me, that's when I ultimately decide, like for me, what I've learned about motivation and what I've learned about hope is, is that in order to have hope and motivation, you have to have some form of positive future. The more specific, the better you have to see a path to getting to that future. If you don't see a path to getting to that future, it's pretty hard to have hope, pretty hard to have motivation. You know, if you want to be a millionaire, but you have no clue how to do it, you know, if you want to be an author, but you have no clue how to do it, like yeah. you need to find a path or create a path or, or discover a path or, and so, um, and then obviously you need to develop the sense that you can actually do it. And so, for me, it just seemed like when I was 19 years old doing nothing, kind of distracted from reality, but I had a few positive influences in my life pointing me more toward a direction of faith. And, and, and I, there was this church mission looming that seemed like it was a possible path to me having a better life. Um, you know, my younger brother ended up joining the military. That ended I was, was going to ask, I was going to ask where your brothers, yeah, what happened? Yeah. My younger brother happened? ended up joining the military, but my younger brother, Trevor, who's two years younger than me, got a lot more, I guess you could say emotionally disturbed through the experiences. I kind of just shut it all out and kind of escaped through like skateboarding and video games and suppressed a lot of it, which ultimately I ended up resolving when I did go on that church mission. My brother, Trevor ended up kind of getting more emotionally sucked into it all. And he ended up dropping out of high school, getting really into drugs. And he's kind of had a, a struggling life up to this point. He's actually in, he's actually now 30 years old. He's two years younger than me. And he's now in a rehab and he's now, it seems like starting to come out of it, um, wow. where he's starting to get to a place of appreciation. But for me, ultimately what I ended up doing was going back to church, reconnecting with my faith and ultimately going on that church mission. Cause I felt like that was my path to having a better life. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. And when I decided to go do that, I just jumped in full board. I just said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go full, you know, full Monty. I'm just going to, I'm going to actually let it change my life. And so I, when I did it, I decided to just jump in with both feet. It was a two year experience and it totally changed everything for me. Well, so that was a lifeline. That's what I was going to ask about. It's interesting to have your dad go down the path that he went into, you know, drugs and addiction. Your mom, you said to leave the faith. And to go into, and this isn't fair, you know, but a health club, when you say that my dad owned a health club and I would say that industry is, is not the most, most faith-based industry, you know, overall. So to see both, no, no, folks, no. to see both your folks go that direction. And yet you still stuck in though. You did say you had a grandfather, you had a, a pastor that would come by and they kept you in that, but you were the only one of your brothers to go that direction. Yes. Yeah. My youngest brother's autistic. And so he's kind of, 
an interesting situation. He's kind of always just been around very good guy, but he still lives with my parents and he's kind of, I don't know if he'll ever not live with my parents. And so he's kind of a different situation. Um, but yeah, I definitely had that lifeline. I will say it's interesting when I was 19 prepping to go on this mission, I ended up leaving on that the day after my 20th birthday. Um, just before kind of leaving, when I was opening myself up and considering it, I started to reconnect with my dad mm. and my dad, cause I had, we kind of separated ourselves from him for a few years and kind of shut him out. And he would try on multiple attempts. He'd try to come to our house, you know, to my mom's apartment, knock on the door and try to connect with us. And we would just kind of stonewall him for a while. Um, but eventually I felt like when I was getting ready to go on that mission that I should probably reconnect with my dad. Um, now after having studied trauma and stuff like that, that's kind of one of the key aspects of resolving trauma is developing a healthy relationship with your parents. Um, but, um, yeah, we would just meet for lunch maybe once a week, like a, like a pastry, like a bakery or something like that. And he would talk to me and stuff like that. And, um, he was starting to come out of his addictions. Um, and he was really encouraging me to, you know, serve that mission and really encouraging me to move forward my life. Cause he could tell I was kind of on a, on a kind of, watershed moment where it was like, I was either going to go do that or I was just not going to, I was probably going to just not live a very good life, you know? So it was pretty, pretty watershed. So he was really encouraging me to move forward. And, um, when I did leave, he actually was in the process of cleaning his life up. He ended up cleaning his life up. He's been addiction free for well over a decade. You know, he even did a lot of, um, you know, group support where he'd be a part of like group, you know, group addiction groups and he would help people through that. So he's, he's really changed his life. And I think we kind of helped each other, I guess you could say by supporting each other, but yeah, I ended up leaving on that. And that was just from my perspective, the only way out, you know, like that was the best way I could create a a good life. And it definitely was, you know, it was a two year experience where I was, you know, had great leadership. I was in Pennsylvania for two years, did a lot of proselyting, did a lot of community service, did a lot of just all sorts of read a ton of books, spiritual psychology, self-improvement, ton of journaling. I mean, it was very much a peak experience, but it was an experience that I did gain a huge relationship with God. And yeah, go ahead. Well, but but it's, I'm, I'm curious again about, yeah, go ahead. Keep asking away. Here's this upbringing of even as you said, no, well, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. No, no work ethic, no interests even, you know, cause I look at that with the kids these days and they're on the video games and there was a, you know, it's like an internet meme or something like that, but it was posted that there's, you know, paintbrushes laying around who will never have the next great painter pick them up. Cause that painter's on his screen, you know, on his, on his social media today or the next great, you know, whatever that kids aren't taking the time to invest in an interest because they're just occupied with this distraction, you know, world. So here you are. And I'm thinking, my gosh, yeah, you haven't developed any interest even, much less work ethic. So you grab this lifeline and go forward with what it sounds like. I mean, you just told you're reading books, you're really diving in. Well, yeah, I mean, it took time, you know, I mean, it's got the mission I had, had a really good structure. I mean, you wake up, you've got two hours of study time. So I was reading scriptures and reading, you know, study guides, learning how to like effectively communicate and talk with people. Cause a lot of what we did was honestly go out and process. And so a lot of it, because I had not been an active community, like an active member of the church for years, I didn't even really know the basics of my own belief system. I mean, I believed in God, for example, but like a big part of my motivation in the beginning, because I felt like I was so far behind was I need to actually like learn and know this stuff for myself. Um, and so I was pretty motivated in the beginning. Um, but also 
I think there was a different experience that I had because a lot of the people who serve those missions, you know, usually they're 18, 19, 20 years old in my faith. Um, a lot of them, it's just expected that they're going to go, you know? And so a lot of them, they just, and they do excellent work they, you know, they transform yeah. and change and grow. But for me, I had already kind of been through so much and had had a lot of trauma and pain and just kind of watched life get flushed down the toilet that when I got out there, it felt like complete freedom. Like I felt like, I felt like I was starting a fresh life. And so it, for me, it wasn't very hard to be motivated for a few different reasons. One is, is cause, um, it was a totally different situation. I really wanted to be there. I felt like I was getting a fresh start at life. Also just kind of the spiritual nature of it. Um, I felt like I was kind of set apart to do it, you know, like spiritually blessed, one of the things that we, you know, do when people go off on missions is they receive blessings. And so like, I felt like I actually received a lot of spiritual gifts and blessings that enabled me to do things that my former self didn't have access to. So a lot of it I'll take credit for, but most of it, I would say actually was just, I was, I was really blessed, um, to have a new sense of motivation, a new sense of identity, a new sense of purpose. A lot of it was just hugely, um, you know, a blessing of the situation. Well, when you look at that, so here you are, you're in this structure, which is interesting. So your older brother, uh, was your older brother goes in the military? My younger uh, brother. Yeah. He joined the military brother. when I was like halfway through that mission. So he goes into a structure and not to, you know, equate your, your spiritual mission or uh, no, but they're military, structures. There are structure. two structures. Okay. So that, that's Hugely. interesting. So, but when you look at that then, so there, here's this interest again, I'm back to the interest and what was driving you. Was it a would you look back now and say it was more of a fear of if I don't do this, what the heck's going to happen? Was it a desire? You just spoke almost to the feeling of a responsibility for blessings that you felt. Again, we um, hold those up. Yeah, I would say if I going back to my like motivations, and it's so hard to kind of judge the motivations sure. of your former self, but. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time yahoofinance.com. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers 
into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are, and in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier, and Air Doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code KEVIN. Um. I was definitely afraid of my life going the wrong way. Um, and by wrong way, I mean, just like, it just didn't look happy. I'd seen enough, uh, enough unsuccess of the lot, you know, the opposite of success in my life in all dimensions, my parents getting divorced. I'd seen a lot of things go wrong. And I, and so a big hope of mine in going on that mission was, is to, you know, avoid some of that for myself. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that I went like out of a felt obligation to my religion. Um, I think at that point I just went because I felt I did believe in God, you know, and and I did go, but I I mostly went probably in the beginning for more selfish motives, more, I I felt like it would be a good path for me to improve my life. I've, I had heard and seen so many missionary people, people come back who were older than me who left on missions, came back and they were more mature people, you know, um, and so, and my grandfather would tell me like, you go on a mission and it wasn't financially, but like, it was like, I knew that like, if I went, my grandfather would be proud of me and like, he might help me like through college or something like that. Like I knew that there would be uh, benefits that I would have, um, that I wouldn't have. And so I just, I was it just some, it seemed like a strategic move, but it also just fit my identity yeah. that I had had, you know, my identity being that like, for almost my whole life, I was kind of thinking about going on that mission, just given my faith background. And so, um, it just seemed like the thing to do. And I knew that if I hadn't done that thing, I would probably go some different direction in a, in a more negative sense. Well, so take me to the fruition of that. So two years where you are pretty much, or you are a hundred percent enmeshed in this mission. And then it comes to an end. What happened yeah. then? What happened then? And I'll ask the same question. What happened? What did you do? And what was the drive behind what you decided to do? Yeah. So I had, 
I really gave myself to that experience. Um, really started reading a lot of mind, mind blowing books, you know, and really like built like an insane amount. based personal development. What kind Both. of both? I mean, I read some, I read Covey. I read a lot of books about Christ. I read the scriptures. I read all sorts of stuff, you know, and I was just, and I really got into journaling and I, and I really, and when you're, when you're doing this mission experience, you're, you're in a new environment. You know, I was in Pennsylvania, but a lot of people do it all over the world, speaking different languages. And you're doing stuff that's just not normal to your life. You know, I went from playing video games all day to like literally walking down and up and down the streets, like talk, talking to people about God or like going into like the ghettos and like cleaning out people's gutters and cleaning out their houses. And, mo- and like, you're always doing stuff that's not normal. And so that, you know, doing that stuff for two years, it starts to kind of change how you see the world. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I, w- I would say through the process of having lots of positive spiritual experiences, reading lots of books, I really got into journaling. Journaling on my mission is what ultimately led me to deciding I wanted to be a writer. Um, Cause I just filled stacks and stacks of journals. Uh, and I learned how to like learn through writing, you know, I uh, would write and kind of be able to process my experiences, process my thoughts. And I would learn through the process of just documenting my thinking. I was going to ask, what were you journal? Was that the primarily journaling uh, thoughts? I mean, I would document the experiences we had, what, what I was doing, but I would often document my thoughts, my beliefs, what I was learning from the books yeah. I was reading. And just, I would just share my experiences, uh, in my own head and, and what I was thinking about it and what I, what I believed about things. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very transformational experience. I think for me, it was probably more transformational than it was for a lot of even the other missionaries. Cause I was just, I was really giving myself to it. Um, you know, and I really believed in it, you know, like I got to the point where I really believed <laughs> that like anything was possible. And so like, I would probably try things that were not what other missionaries would try. You know, I would, I would be, I became quite fearless as a missionary, as far as like, just, you know, talking to anybody, um, you know, being a lot more bold and, um, being more diligent. I would wake, you know, a lot of missionaries would wake up late, you know, miss their study hours. Like I started waking up earlier and earlier to read more and more. I just got obsessed with just learning. And so it was, it was a process, but by the end of the two years, you know, I'm not really at all the same person. I now have enormously more reference points. You know, in the beginning I had like my, my dad and my Bishop or my grandpa and my Bishop. But by the time I got through that whole experience, I now had amazing leaders. I had now met so many people who are living really great examples of, of amazing lives, you know? <laughs> and so like I had now been exposed to a whole new world and also had built a huge amount of confidence and ability. And so, and also I had read so many books and had done so much journaling that by that point, you know, I had made the decision I want to, I wanted to write. I actually wanted to write more spiritual books at that point. I thought I was going to maybe write more spiritual and religious books. Um, but I, yeah. So I ultimately, I came home, decided I wanted to study psychology and cause I just wanted to learn about it and understand it. And I knew that people like Covey, Stephen Covey, who was a great yeah. reference point for me had studied psychology. And so that's what led me to studying psychology. And I just went to community college, flew through it, got straight A's, transferred, um, got straight A's, you know, graduated college in less than three years. Um, I worked for a few financial advisors when I first got home from my mission and they were really trying to convince me to become a financial advisor. You know, they're like, we make like four or 500 grand a year. We work 30 hours a week. Like you could do this, but I feel So I almost got persuaded to do that those first couple of years I was home. But yeah, I mean, on the more basic logistical level, I was living at my mom's house. At that point, she was kind of in a different place. She was dating a guy. My dad was pretty cleaned up. He was working a job. Um, and I was just going to school and working and 
I spent some time still with some of my friends, but it was very different. You know, I was very focused, um, at that point towards getting through school, moving forward, getting married. Um, my mission president, who was the leader, you know, of that mission experience gave me a blessing near the end of that mission. He told me to get as much education as I could. And so that was a big aspect of probably why I went and got a PhD. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just was motivated at that point to move forward and create a good life. And so ever since that experience, and I got home about January of 2010. And so for the last 10, 11 years, you know, it's just been flying to where I'm at now. So you talk about not being, you said the words, not being the same person. So here you are coming out of the mission, going into a life. Obviously it's great fodder for your recent book. Personality isn't permanent because would you say that, man, my gosh, I was a totally different person or were, I mean, like that being fearless going up to people. I mean, that's like, you know, sales and cold calling. I mean, it's not a very delightful thing for most people uh, to want to do. Were there seeds of that? As a kid that you were, you say, yeah, I had some propensities towards that or, or literally this is a, this is a 180. Um, I don't know. My view is that your personality is whatever you say yes to, you know, like personality is exhibited in consistent behavior. Yeah. And so like my former self said yes regularly to playing 15 hours a day of video games. Right. So like, that's what I said yes to. That was what was my consistent behaviors in action. My, my, my current self would obviously never say yes to that at this point. And so, um, you know, to answer the question where there are seeds of that, like when I was a kid, I don't know if I'm sure that there were some seeds of that, you know, I'm the oldest of three. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I wouldn't, I would say that it wasn't, I wouldn't have expected, you know, looking at the, you know, kid version of me, and especially not the junior high and high school version of me to see what I was as a missionary, you know, like I was a pretty exceptional um, missionary. Um, and so I'm not, I don't think that, I think a lot of that came due to what I could compare my life to, but also ultimately I believe I chose it. You know, I believe I just dove deep into it and just ultimately made the conscious decision that this is the way I want to live. And I started just really diving into that. Uh, and I came to the realization that, I could experience a lot of things on that mission. I could experience a lot of spiritual experiences. I could also just be the most diligent person. I could read as many books as I wanted. Like I started to just uh, experience freedom where I just realized I kind of, it was almost like self-determination. You know, I just realized it's up to me what I learn about and who I become and I can create whatever life and future I want and I can be, you know, and so I, a lot of that was just self-realization. Um, and, and, and I realized that on my mission. So I think, there may have been seeds of it, but ultimately it was just the choice I made. Yeah. So when you are going after schooling, you're diving into that, you go after your doctorate. You said earlier that you had had a bit of an assumption you would go after writing about faith issues, which in the last show we did, you've talked about, you know, kind of maybe it's a full circle that that is something that you have an interest in doing uh, in the future is coming back to that direction a little bit more. But when did you get to the point then of saying, Hey, this is what I want to impart or I want to contribute. And is that when you started writing was the first muse of writing when you started for medium or just blogging? No, actually a couple of years before that I attempted writing a couple of those more like religious slash spiritual books, but no, I had no clue. You know, this was just me and an undergrad and I had no clue what it actually took to like get a publisher, how to actually do any of it. I just was writing what I thought to be various books. Um, it was more of a hobby, but 
still something I really, really wanted to do. You know, I had already kind of committed my mind that I was going to be a writer and that I wanted to do that. And so that's what I was studying. And I was just constantly and, just and, reading. And, let me, and on that though, a writer, why? Why? What was Because when I, when I was on my mission, I was reading so many books and I would study the people who wrote those books. And I just thought that that would be a cool life, you know, having gotten so absorbed in learning, you know, that became a big part of my identity on my mission was I just fell in love with learning. Um, that I was reading voraciously and, and I was just loving it. And I was, and, and so I just felt like that became something I wanted to do. That became right. my passion. And so it became my future self, I guess you could say. It became the person I chose and I wanted to be. Um, I wouldn't say I discovered it. I would say that it, it, it became something I valued. You know, that's, that's my belief system is, is that we have, um, you know, we develop values and we also choose values and our values to determine our goals. And so I've really began to value learning and teaching and sharing and personal development and growth. And so because of that, ultimately I, I decided it would be a worthwhile goal and pursuit to become an author, a, a writer. And so that's, that ultimately became what so I a, wanted when I began studying. So a couple of books on the faith realm, but didn't, find I mean, I wrote faith. a little, but they were just word docs that ultimately ended up yeah. deleting. But yeah, as far as when I ultimately started really going after writing, you know, so I got home in 2010 by 2014, I get accepted into Clemson university where I went and did my PhD in organizational psychology. And over those four years, I was studying all sorts of stuff, you know, still reading lots of stuff on faith, but I was also reading lots of more business books, spiritual, uh, personal development books, and really diving into that world. And I was also going deep into psychology by that point, you know, when you get into a PhD program and my program was organizational psychology. So it was a lot more like motivation, leadership, productivity, okay. culture, teamwork. It was not therapy. Like right. most people who get my degree end up becoming consultants of some form for big organizations. Um, and they train and develop and set up, you know, ways for leaders to be more effective, you know, employees to be more effective. And so I was studying essentially motivation, teamwork, okay. leadership, productivity, stuff like that. Um, so I was just diving deeper and deeper into psychology and, um, yeah, I ultimately kind of decided in that moment, it was probably better to go more mainstream rather than faith-based, just share personal development, um, just, just teach personal transformation, I guess you could say, more generally, more broadly than just lumping myself as a, as a gospel teacher or whatnot. And so I just was mostly writing about psychology and motivation, but obviously huge spiritual hints in between and everything I said. And so most people would read my stuff and a lot of the people who read my stuff probably already know I believe in God. I mean, it's just right there and I don't hide it, you know, but yeah. it's just not, it's not front and center in what I write about. Right. And so, yeah, I started writing on medium in about 2015 during the first year of my PhD program. And my work just essentially took off within months. You know, it only took a couple months and, before I was starting to get read by millions of people. So of course the question is, okay, why, what were you that insightful uh, in all humility, you know, with your insight into um, personal development, were you just, uh, how did you get to be such, I mean, you are a, uh, an exceptional author. I mean, just a writing skill. Is that something that you studied that as a, well, I think a few aspects of why I can write the way I write is there are a few aspects. One is, is I have literally probably written, I probably have a hundred journals that I've okay. just, I mean, I journal every day. Um, and, and on my mission, I would often journal for an hour. So, I mean, I got used to being able to write stream of consciousness, like consciously where I could just, I don't inhibit my thought process when I write, like I can just, I can just write without having to think about every sentence. I can just, you know, it's a skill I developed on the mission while journaling and even just since while journaling. Um, 
when you, when I took the GRE to get into my PhD program, GRE is a test. It's kind of like the LSAT or the MCAT. GRE is just a test you have to take to get into graduate school. I, um, I got in the 97th percentile on the writing section, but the reason I was able to do that is basically they give you a prompt and they just tell you to write it right. You know, they give you an argument. You just say, you know, explain what you would do in this situation. And what I learned studying for that test is, is that they honestly don't care what you write about. They just want to see that you can actually form arguments and actually like build ideas upon each other. And so I literally didn't edit it. I just wrote as much as I could come up with and connected it with as many little things as I could. And I just wrote as much as I could and got in the 97th percentile. Um, and so I learned from that, that it honestly doesn't really matter what you say, as long as you can get good at connecting dots. Um, but I also, when I was trying to get into my PhD program, I actually had a mentor who really helped me. So the first time I applied to graduate school, I got rejected by 15 schools. And so then me and my wife had to live in the parents' basement for another year. Luckily, I was able to learn about different PhD programs and I ended up changing programs rather than going more of a counseling psychology. I went into the organizational psychology, but in order to get into the PhD program, I needed to have a lot of potential publications, more academic style. And so I met this young professor named Nate Lambert and um, he was a young professor cranking out tons of stuff. Um, He had worked under Roy Baumeister and Roy Baumeister wrote the book, Willpower, and Roy Baumeister is one of the most famous psychologists public published around a thousand articles, um, like psych, uh, like actual research articles. And so when I started yeah. working with Nate, he just gave me full freedom and he gave me, he, he was already, he was this young professor, but he was publishing 10 times more than any of the other professors in his department. And he just gave me full access to him. You know, I just started working and I was really trying to get into graduate school. And so he, me and him over like a two or three month period of time, we wrote like 15 academic papers together. And he just, he would literally sit and coach me. And by writing all of those papers, I built an insane amount of confidence in my ability to write and communicate. And this was before I went into grad school. And then when I got to grad school, you know, and I started ultimately writing on medium, I think, um, you know, I took an online course, an online course from John Morrow the course was all about how to write headlines and how to structure your articles. And that kind of gave me a a frame of like how to, how to structure my headlines and how to structure the articles. But at that point I'd read hundreds of books. I'd served a mission. I was deep into psychology. And so I had a huge well of knowledge and I I knew how to write in a fast stream of consciousness way and connect ideas. And then that course taught me how to structure articles kind of almost like listicles. And so then it was just, then I just, wrote like a hundred articles in the first few months. And within the first few months, you know, they started going viral. Um, so I was applying a lot of learning. Um, but I'd also had an insane amount of experience and I had a lot to draw from, you know, um, I will say also, you know, I, I do have good practices as far as like, before I write the article, you know, I'll obviously meditate, pray, ask God to give me inspiration, but I'll also just journal and build an outline, you know, like, okay, what do I want to write about today? You know, and I'm often trying to spin ideas in my head, you know, like often headlines will come to my mind, you know, like, you know, when you're really deep into something. And so I'll just constantly have my journal and I'll just write, write little scratchy bullets. And then I just, just dump it. And I guess one last thought on it is, is I just, I didn't really care about perfection and I still don't, you know, I don't see any of my work as perfect. I see, I like the idea of better prolific than perfect. So I just was fine dumping out a huge volume of what I perceived to be kind of junk in the beginning. And I think that that allowed me to get more comfortable just publishing without needing it to be perfect. And eventually I just got better and better at it. So when did that hit a, from a vocational standpoint, so you're writing these things on media and they go viral, you're getting traction. That doesn't mean, 
revenue. Doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, well, I remember in the last interview we did, you talked about a goal of, I think it was like 130 email subscribers because you saw that that is what equated to, you had this goal of a six figure book contract. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I talked to people like Jeff Goins. I was yeah. studying people like Jeff Goins, Michael Hyatt, um, Seth Godin, Ryan Holiday. I was just studying authors who were bloggers on similar topics who were also talking about how to become a professional writer at that point. <laughs> and so I actually was able to have a phone call with Jeff Goins at a certain point. This was when I was starting to get email subscribers. I was probably getting like a one or 2000 a month, you know, like I learned how to like have a website and have people sign up for my email list. And I was getting like a couple hundred, I was probably getting like 2000 a month, you know? So I was probably like at five or 6,000 emails. Um, and, uh, yeah, I called, I was really anxious still to get a book done. You know, I, that was just something I wanted to accomplish. I wanted, you know, and I, I think that through my mission and even I'm probably less, I, I might even still be this way now, but I, w I became really achievement oriented where like, you know, I wanted to get into a PhD program. I wanted to have a published book. You know, I, I wanted to have, and I wouldn't say I was doing it because I felt like I was insecure. I just, I, I, I had the confidence that I could achieve things. And so well, I, was, I wanted to, I was going to ask the, the drive, when you look at that now, the drive, do you say, I mean, you know, we all look at our drives. There's good and bad. Usually there's something yeah, you know, this totally. out of, uh, you know, wanting to provide for my family. This is wanting to achieve something. I wouldn't say that I wanted to provide for my family in the beginning. I would say my motivation is more along that line now, but I would say back then it was, I wouldn't say it was to prove myself. I would say, um, I don't know. I just wanted to be successful at that point when I was first starting, I wanted to, I wanted, you know, I even still, I want to, you know, I want to have 50 or more books written, you know, like I just, I just want to have that. Um, I've seen a lot of the people I admire are big authors, big writers. They're people who have influenced and changed my life. And so I kind of just want to be that kind of person myself who helps other people. So is that prolific? So, so there you are on medium and you're gaining that. So you have prolificness happening at medium and you're looking at a book deal. Did you know, or when did you know, come upon a focus for a book? And I don't even know what the first book was. The first, well, so I wrote an ebook called slipstream time hacking. Actually, here's a copy of it right here. And actually I recently got a book contract for this to kind of expand it, but I wrote <laughs> this, awesome. okay. I wrote this little book. Um, you know, right in the beginning of 2015, even before I started blogging oh. and I wrote the book and I thought it was really cool. And so I was looking for agents to try to get a book deal. And they all told me, look, you can't get a book deal unless you have an email list. And so that ultimately led me to, okay, I got to, I actually have to blog. I remember facing that realization and I didn't really want to do it, but I faced that realization. So I started blogging, had the conversation with Jeff Goins, where I basically said with like five, 6,000 email subscribers, I'd like to get a book deal. And he's like, it's like, you could probably get a book deal right now, but it's going to be like five, 10 grand or 20 grand. He's like, you should probably just wait until you have like a hundred thousand email subscribers. It might take you an extra year or two, but then you'll get a six figure book deal. So then I just really kind of doubled down and, and I, I learned how to get more email subscribers. I read, you know, Russell Brunson's book.com secrets was a really good book for me. I read that in 2016 and that taught me how to like build a landing page. And I ultimately learned how to become a better marketer. And I was getting like 20,000 emails a month. And so by the end of 2016, early 2017, I got help from Ryan holiday. He helped me write a book proposal, which ended up being for this book. Willpower doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, so I got the book contract for this. The book was actually initially going to be called the proximity effect. It was all about how whatever surrounds you shapes you, you know, your surroundings shape you. It's kind of like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um,
your environment shapes you. And so, yeah, he helped me get the book proposal written. He helped me get an agent. And then, you know, in January, I had already had multiple editors from various publishers who had been reading my stuff on Medium reaching out to me and saying that they wanted to see the book proposal. And so my agent, you know, this was in the beginning of 2017, did one of those bidding things. And we know I ended up getting a $225,000 book deal for this book and wrote it. And it came out in 2018, you know, willpower doesn't work came out in 2018. And then I've just kept writing since. Yeah. And you have, I mean, talk about being prolific. I mean, so yeah, where are you now on the book count? Well, I mean, traditionally published, I've got three, but I'm publishing three more next year. So, I mean, I actually have book deals for four, four different books. Yeah. I've got these three books. I've got willpower doesn't work. Person hasn't permanent who, not how, um, in 2021, I'm going to do a book called be your future self now, which is kind of, in my opinion, the best aspects and much even expanded upon personalities and permanent. I'm doing the next book with Dan Sullivan, which is going to be called the gap and the gain, which is just an idea of his. I really love, um, I'm doing a book with a guy named Richard Paul Evans. Richard Paul Evans is one of my mentors. He's written 42 or 42 or 43 New York times bestsellers. He's a fiction writer. Um, we're doing a book together with Hay House and then I'll probably end up doing another collaboration. So a lot of them are, are actually co-authorships where I end up doing a lot of the writing, but I'm learning from people I want to learn from or connect with or collaborate with. So I want to jump over. So as this, we've just kind of taken along the vocational you know, trajectory. You mentioned at some point in there, you got married. And so now you have, I think for most people, you know, you've got school, you've got work you're going towards and all of a sudden then this uh, personal life starts to exist that not as a separation, I don't see it as separation, but it's another endeavor. I mean, I do right now. I'm in my office right now. I'm doing my vocation. My house is over there with, uh, totally. house, yeah, I'm household. in a separate house, 15 minutes from my own house. There you go. So you got that happening. So that happens over here. And you guys did some significant things there. You, uh, you got married at some point, adopted three kids. Is that right? Yeah. So my wife and I got married when we were both undergrads. Then we moved to Clemson, um, for my graduate studies. She had always wanted to do foster care. And so when we first got to Clemson, we signed up for foster care, went through all the classes and the trainings, the phasing, you know, hazing process, I guess you would call it. But Yeah, yeah. yeah, we got three foster kids. They were all three siblings and ultimately spent three years fighting the foster system. And this was while I was just doing my PhD. You know, we, once we actually ended up adopting them, which was miraculous in and of itself, um, we then moved to Florida because we then could leave. We couldn't leave because the kids were actually like, Oh, right. Owned by the state of South Carolina to some degree. And so we left Florida, we left and moved to Florida in the, like the, in August ish of 2018. Um, and so I was not even done with my PhD, but I could just do my dissertation from distance And, um, yeah, so we adopted our kids after a three-year court battle and, um, literally a month after the adoption, which was in February or sorry. Yeah, it was in, um, I think it was in February of 2018. So we adopted the kids in February of 2018. My first book came out a month later, willpower doesn't work. And then literally that same month that willpower doesn't work came out in February of two or in March, I guess you could say of 2018, my wife got pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. So we went from zero to five in 2018. You know, we had twins, we adopted three. And then even more recently, my wife just gave birth to a baby boy. So we have six kids. That'll probably be our last. We're pretty, we felt pretty inspired that we would have one more, but we, we were both pretty clear at this point. I think we're good. So we have six kids. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, you know, very, 
we've got like our three older ones and then we've got our three younger ones. So, so today you have, you have, you have achieved the prolificness, you have achieved profit. Um, you've got family happening. Where are you with motive today? You've got your own achievement. You've got, you know, revenue, you've got family, you've got kids, and you've ultimately just got what you want to impart to people. What is the thing that you find yourself being driven by most? Yeah, I got what my former self wanted, but just because my former self wanted things doesn't mean my current or my future self want them. And so um, I'm very motivated now, you know, in specific terms, my motivation is actually to get to a place where I can essentially retire as fast as possible so that I can go do more missions. Uh, I want to do a different style of missionary work. Now I want to do it more. um, I just want to learn how to be more effective, which is basically everything I've been studying for the last 10 years. And I want to help missionaries be more effective. And so I want to affect Um, missionary work at a bigger scale in, you know, in my faith. And uh, I want to continue writing books. And so my, my motives right now are to put myself and my family in a position where I can essentially retire and then ultimately dedicate as much of my, I'll continue to write books. I see myself writing books for the rest of my life, but I want to, I want to, I want to have a higher impact on missionary work in my faith, which is something that still really matters to me. And so, yeah, my motive is to, put my family and myself in a financial situation where I can do that. So that's, when, that's what I'm heavily motivated by right now. When you look at the writing aspect in your vocation there, is there somebody who you look to as a muse somewhat? I mean, cause I'm like you, I'm, I, I read and I read and I read so much stuff, but there's these people I come back to, you know, Frederick Beekner. Uh, I mm. just read, I just read uh, Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Have you read that book? I uh, haven't. I'll write a, it down. Becoming a, Mrs. Lewis. Yeah, man. As a writer, and if you're into faith, and you know, see, so it's about it's on C.S. Lewis. It was oh just wow! I'm a so, big C.S. Lewis fan. I am too. It was so interesting to read this different perspective on his life. But in reading those, I find myself ruminating on the type of person I want to be, the type of again what I want to impart, the type of contribution that I want, not better than anything yeah, else, but sure, a, sure, different, sure. a different, a different, it inspires flavor. you though. Yeah. A different flavor of how I want to contribute. Yeah. So is there anybody, yeah, there that kind of sparks that for you? Uh, I don't know if there's anyone specific. Um, I just, I just continuously learn and read new things. Um, I, I would say, you know, outside of like scriptures and directly faith oriented stuff, like I am pretty inspired by Napoleon Hill's work. You know, I think Napoleon Hill's work is very interesting. Um, I, I really do like his work, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just constantly learning more and more. A lot of it's more general self-help. A lot of it's a lot more rigorous scientific, psychological, you know, or, you know, or even physics. I mean, I, I study all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I wouldn't say that there's one kind of muse or even group of muses that I go to, except for just, I'm just constantly learning more and more at this point. Um, I do often go back to books. I do like Carol Dweck's work. Her book mindset is always very inspiring to me. Um, Yeah. She's, she's one person, one of not many who I haven't been able to get on the show because I just can't get through to anybody. So if you find a connection there, I, I, yeah, she's probably just not even interested in that stuff at this point. I don't know that she is. And folks, if you hear him talking about Napoleon Hill, that's think and grow rich. One of the all time classics. All right. One more question, because again, it was one that stuck out. I think, for, yeah, it was our last, our last talk on the Ziggler show on personality isn't permanent. 
And it's just something that's stuck in my head. I've talked with my family about it. And you said how we are, you gave it a terminology that I can't remember. Hopefully you will. Um, We look back at ourselves five years ago, 10 years ago and say, gosh, are you the same person? Have you changed? Like, oh my gosh, no, I'm totally different. But today I think I am who I am. Yeah. And it's so difficult. I've, I've been bothered. I don't know if it's bothered Ben, but it's, I'm just curious to think, gosh, it's, yeah, because it is. I, I think it's just the reality of that statement of going, yeah, I think that now I've learned this. I can't believe I did that two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. I can't believe, oh my gosh, you know, it's amazing. And to think, really? I'm going to look back now on today and be that much different? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, the concept, there's a lot of different concepts to describe this. One of them is called the end of history illusion, end of history illusion. So basically that's the idea that, um, you know, you can look back on your former self and recognize that you said, you say no to a lot of things your former self used to say yes to, you know, like it's obvious even a year or two ago, I used to make decisions that if placed back in those situations with my current knowledge perspectives and understanding, I would not approach things the same way. I don't value maybe the same things anymore. I I wouldn't give myself to the same things. Um, And so it's easier looking back on the past, comparing yourself to your former self to recognize that you don't see things the same way. But the reason they call it the end of history illusion is because you assume that moving forward, your future self isn't going to be impacted by what's between you and your future self. (laughs) And so the, the, the core point here is, is that your future self is actually going to be fundamentally different than you expect they'll be. Most people almost all people under predict how different their future self will be because most people are very present or past oriented in their identity. You know, most people, your identity is how you see and define and describe yourself. Your identity is different from your personality. Your identity is actually the driver of your personality. Your identity is how you see yourself. It's how you describe yourself. It's based on your values, your goals, and those things shape your behavior and your behavior consistently over time is your personality. So, um, well, with that said, yeah. then it's curious as you look forward and go, okay, here's what you... Well, I know my future self is going to be totally different than I, yeah. I think they're going to be. Um, yeah. But one thing I do know is that my current self is just a blip on the radar. So I'm certainly not going to overvalue my current self or my current situation. Um, that's what that's kind of the essence of what Carol Dweck found, right? Yeah. So she, she broke people up into fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And people yeah. with a fixed mindset are heavily focused on who they are in the present. You know, if someone with a fixed mindset fails a test, in class, they're defined by that. They don't think that they're ever going to be able to be better than that. If they're not good at math, they'll never be good at math. You know, so people with a fixed mindset think that their future self is essentially the same person as their current self. Whereas people with a growth mindset, they don't overly value their current self because they know that their current self is temporary. So if I'm, if I'm not where I want to be yet, or if I've got weaknesses or even strengths, I know that in the future, those things can and will be different. And so people with a growth mindset are obviously a lot more imagination oriented, but they're also a lot more committed and they're, they're more bought into their future self than they are into their current circumstances, you know? Right. Okay. And so I'm, I'm way more bought into my future self than my current self. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really care who I am right now. As weird as that sounds, I'm not who I am right now is pretty flexible and fluid. And so it's a lot better to point your, your identity and your focus in a direction that you can control, which is your vision for your future rather than trying to hold on to an overly defined who you are in the present. There's a great quote from Robert Brault. He basically said, never mind trying to define who you are, define who you want to be. Yeah. And I think that's a lot firmer of a foundation to, to define your North star, to define your future self and what you value and what you, what you want, rather than trying to 
take all these stupid tests or trying to overly define and figure out yeah. who you are right now. Like who you are right now is such a blip that it doesn't really matter. What, uh, you know, I do have another question though. When you yeah, have, go ahead. I'm loving this. When you have, when you're looking, so again, back to the prolific, you have, you've got a following, you've got an audience, you've got uh, agents and publishers and they know that, you know, not to, to exaggerate it, but whatever you write, there's an audience for, you're going to sell some books. So you can look at that and go, Hey, what's going to sell the most but you have, you are deciding every day, this is what is on my heart. This is what I want to impart. And we always look at that, you know, what's that thing you're passionate about though? I've been repeating this over and over because I had two guys in the span of about two weeks, both take that passion concept. And they said, instead, what is it that breaks your heart? It was John O'Leary, you know, John, um, uh, author of uh, his book was on fire. You get burnt over like 86% of his body. Oh, Mo- nice. Motivational speaker, him and uh, uh, a guy, uh, Sam Collier, another guy talked about that. What breaks your heart? So I don't know what spurs that when you look at, it. I'm going to go right, right now. This, this is what I want for the, for the culture, for my demographic. It's what I'm passionate about, or it's what breaks my heart. However, that resonates for you. When you look and say, this is the direction I'm going to go like this book you're working on now, my future self, because uh, this is what I want for people. What is that? How would you, if you had to wrap that up or define that? Like, that how do I choose is, the books I write? Kind well, of thing? well, or even just say, what is it that you see is missing in the culture? What is hurting people? What is it that you want them to do? You want to look back and go, oh, I want to have moved the needle a little bit in what way for people? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, as weird as it sounds, I don't know if that's the question I even ask myself when I'm personally writing. Well, um, I don't know either. So I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay that you're I, I, mean, I, I do like that question because it would lead yeah. me to probably different directions. If I were to ask myself, if I were to think really hard and deep and ask myself, like, what's missing in the world right now, or what's, what's, what's harming the world most, or what do people need right now? Um, actually, I, that was kind of, I think, where my mindset was earlier this year. Um, probably even around when we were talking, cause I wanted to do a book called the necessity of hope, you know, and obviously I was pretty caught up in like the COVID world, but I'd also read Frankel's book a few times, man search for meaning. Yeah. And, um, I'd studied a lot of the ideas about, you know, how our view of the future dramatically impacts our, our experience in the present. And it just seemed like the world was becoming incre- incredibly pessimistic. Hey, so I wanted to write yeah. a, I wanted to write a book. Yeah. About the science of hope and also just really hit it hard my publisher ended up not wanting that book. And so I ended up going a different direction, but um, yeah, I think that when I'm thinking about things I want to write, I mean, when I'm writing blog posts or doing videos, I'm just sharing things that I know are useful to myself and things that I've got a lot of just, you know, like feeling towards Um, when it comes to the books, like the book I'm writing right now, choose your futures or sorry, be your future self. Now, like the reason I'm writing that book is because I feel like that book should exist. Um, and I don't think anyone else could write it. Um, cause I've just spent so many different, I, I know so many different angles on the concept. And I also know that it's what personalities isn't permanent could have and should have been. Um, and so like, I, I feel like very compelled to get that book out there because I know that it's a very powerful, important idea. <laughs> and I also know that if I don't get it out there, someone else will, you know, as weird as that sounds like it's, sure. it's eventually going to become an idea that people take over. And so I, I feel like the market needs it. I feel like I have to write it right now because it's the only thing that's on my mind. And I've been thinking about it for like the last year, as far as the Dan Sullivan book, like this one, for example, who, not how the reason I wrote this book, I loved the idea, 
I knew that this was Dan's favorite idea. I wanted to collaborate with Dan. And so I, and I wanted to learn about this idea. Who not how? I just wanted to learn how to do it. Cause I knew if I learned that concept, I could be more of a, a better entrepreneur. I could be more successful. And so I, I wrote that book as a benefit to Dan. Cause I know that that was the book that he wanted out there. And uh, I wanted to learn from it. The next book we're doing is called the gap and the gain. And to me, that's a very transformative idea. It's an idea that I've studied, talked about, learned a lot, and I feel like it can really help people. So I just felt like that's a book that I know can help people. I know it'll change their perspective. It'll, and so I don't know if I'm looking for like the grand, you know, struggle that people are going through. I'm more just trying to help in ways that I can, you know, like I'm not trying to solve every problem with one book, but I know that each book can help some people. Well, I have obviously uh, become a fan of the books. I, li- I literally the two, you know, willpower doesn't work and personality isn't permanent. I have, uh, I, I talk to so many people, so many great messages, but I find the ones, you know, what are the ones that I come back and I end up talking about it at the dinner table or talking about it on another show? And I think I, I told you, willpower um, doesn't work. Was I was so enamored with it? You sent me, I think, ten of them, which I've given to kids, friends. Uh, whatnot. So, I mean, I am a fan of your, of your work, of your perspective and thanks for doing this. I wanted to know, because this is, again, it's something that I talk to my kids about. I love it, man. I love talking to you. Every, every opportunity I have to talk to you, I get a lot out of it. I love talking to you, man. I've got the muse of, so I've got kids. I've got my oldest is 25. My youngest is eight. We've got uh, seven biological and two adopted. uh, Holy cow. But I've got these two boys, 15 and 14 years old. And they're um, really insightful, very well read. They're they're voracious readers, and also, you know, middle school or high school boys who are you know, there's social media happening out there and video games, and they enjoy that kind of stuff. And so we talk very candidly about it. And I talk to them about you, about saying, you know, as much as I want this for you guys, I'm also having to take a deep breath. And you don't have to have it all figured out today. I know that I can come across that way because here's a guy. And again, I wanted to talk to you and I'll have them listen to it. And this is what he listened. This is what he dealt with. And this is what he did. And he came out and he didn't have squat regards. I mean, you've got so much. That, you know, to go forward, he didn't, and he still. Did, I kind of. Yeah, I didn't parents. have. I didn't have a lot of resources when I got home from that mission. It was basically me and getting uh, government grants and going to going to community college and starting from nowhere. Well, I want, and I wanted, I want other parents to hear it too. To say, my gosh, if you've got a you know kid who's fifteen or nineteen or whatever, and you don't see a whole lot of drive, you don't see a whole lot of skill set, you don't see that. Not to not to not try, but it's totally. not a lost cause. It's not a lost. Yeah, cause. I agree. It's. It's easy to, uh, you know, speaking of the gap and the gain, it's easy to be in the gap, especially with other people. Basically the gap is when you're comparing what currently is with, with your ideal, you know? So for example, like very successful people are often in the gap, you know, you could be a billionaire, but you might not be happy because you're always comparing yourself with where you want to be or where you could be. The gain is all about comparing yourself with where you were before, you know? So like, if I were to look at where I'm at right now versus where I was at six months ago, like I could see a lot of progress. And if you see progress, you feel good. Um, but it's also easy to be in the gap with other people, like with my kids, the three kids we adopted, like, it's very easy for me to like, see their deficiencies and the things that continue to bother me about them. But if I look at them versus where they were at a year ago or three years ago, it's shocking how much they've grown. And so it's, it's important to be in the game with other people because people can feel it. People can feel if you're just focused on what's missing in them versus appreciating what they've accomplished and where they're at and that they've grown and noticing it. Um, and so I think with kids, it's very important to, to have obviously hope, but it's also important to be in the game and to yeah. take time to appreciate 
that they're not the same person they were a year ago or two or three years ago and to actually recognize and appreciate that. And if you're always in the gap, then you're never going to be happy no matter what they achieve. Cause you know, no, no, no one's perfect. Well, that's good counsel for me. Always. I can so tend to look at what's not working and that is helpful in business and, and whatnot, but not always so with people. Um, man, Hey, Ben, thank you so much. Thanks for the walk. Hey, you're awesome. Uh, Kevin. Through, through what's been happening with you. This is, this is what I want people to hear on this show is the realities of what drives us good and bad and ugly and, uh, how it changes. So again, a fan, thanks. It totally time. changes. It totally changes, man. Thank you so much, Ben. Talk to you soon, brother. Friends, thank you for joining us as we journey to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. You can find Ben Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy at BenjaminHardy.com. His latest book with famed business coach Dan Sullivan is called 10X is Easier Than 2X. It's a bestseller and it's available everywhere. Highly encourage you to check it out. If you appreciate this podcast and want to share it with others, please rate the show on Spotify. Leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on YouTube and watch the full episodes of all our podcasts. Find me at Kevin Miller CO. Kevin Miller CO is also where you'll find me on all the social media where we've got a lot of clips that are drawing in a lot of people with highlight quotes and such from some of the shows. If you want to learn how to master your own inner drive, Get my book, What Drives You, featuring, first chapter at least, the story, Dr. Benjamin Hardy from this show. You can find the book on Amazon in any format you want. Until next time, stay driven.